Hello, humans, hello, humans, hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950, talking to you from the bunker in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. How are you? Happy Saturday. Um, remember our show about idealism and idealists, and let me just tell you, this, this show will grab you. The big interview is with a young woman, 25 years old, named Dana Nelson. She is an incredibly brave human who is advocating for Minnesota to adopt a medical aid in dying law that would permit persons with terminal illnesses the power to choose how they take their last breaths. You see, Dana is pushing for this law because she is dying of cancer. I remember, 25 years old. You will hear her eloquent plea for this law. And I trust you will not forget this interview for a, that interview for a long time. And in the C block, okay, I'm going to talk about my work as an idealist, as I always do. Ah, I always do. But let us begin with our featured idealist, as we always do or try to do. Um, and the man, the idealist that I'm going to feature here in the A block is somebody worthy of an entire whole entire LE 2.0 um, episode, but of course we don't have that time. I'm speaking of no, <laughs> none other than Muhammad Ali, who by many accounts is the greatest boxer of all time. I understand that some of you might be scratching your heads or kind of scrunching your noses right now asking, Muhammad Ali, an idealist? Huh? Well, frankly, uh, I would have been in that same camp as you, but for something that I saw this week on Martin Luther King Day. It was a short clip of Muhammad Ali pushing back against some white college students over Ali's um, conscientious objection, his refusal to serve in the military um, in the height of the Vietnam War. I'll get to that exchange in a second, but let me first give you some background about Muhammad Ali. Uh, Muhammad Ali was born on January 17, uh, 1942. We are, so we are just past what would have been his 80th birthday. He was born in Louisville, Kentucky, with the birth name of Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. He graduated from Central High School in uh, Louisville in 1958, but struggled in school with dyslexia. And that is something he... I think struggled with his entire life. His first encounter with boxing um, occurred in 1954 at the age of 12, where he began doing Golden Gloves boxing competitions in Kentucky. Eventually, he would win six Kentucky Golden Gloves uh, titles, two national Golden Gloves titles, and then the light heavyweight gold medal during the 1960 summers, uh, Summer Olympics in Rome. By 1964, Cassius Clay, I'm just, I'm using that right now because I need to give you some, um, I'll explain. His name is Muhammad Ali, but he, he was going in 64, he was going by the name of Cassius Clay. And he was a contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. He fought Sonny Liston, and, and Cassius Clay was a 7-to-1 underdog. <laughs> but after seven rounds, Clay was declared the winner by a technical knockout. Um, Sonny Liston refused to get up out of his corner uh, for the eighth round. Cassius Clay at that time was 22 years old. He became the youngest boxer to ever take the title of heavyweight champion. 
It wasn't long after the Liston fight that Cassius Clay converted from Baptist to Islam and adopted the name Muhammad Ali. This was, as he explained, to renounce his slave name. Now, you may, students of American history, you may recall that enslaved persons um, were given the names of slaveholders for the households that they were living in, the last names. I should note that Muhammad Ali was influenced by Malcolm X on his religious conversion to Islam. And you may recall that I highlighted Malcolm X as an idealist in November of last year. It all sort of fits together if you have the big, long view of things. But I highlight Muhammad Ali because of his civil rights activism opposition to the Vietnam War. Early in his life, as a boy, Ali was refused a drink of water at a store because of his skin color. And his mother would recount that that incident stuck with him his entire life. Additionally, um, Emmett Till, you may recall Emmett Till, the 14-year-old boy who was murdered in 1955 when he was visiting from Chicago to visit his grandmother in, I believe it was Mississippi, okay? Um, Emmett Till was murdered because he allegedly was disrespectful to a woman in a store. Um, Emmett Till's murder um, was something that affected Muhammad Ali. Ali's his daughter Hannah would later write that Ali told her nothing, quote, nothing would ever shake him up more than Emmett Till's death, unquote. By 1966, Ali was 24 years old and the Vietnam War was raging. I know that because in 1966, I was um, 10 years old. And I watched that war every day, every night on TV. And I read about it in the papers twice a day, the morning and the afternoon papers. The draft was operating in full force in 1966. And understanding that he would be drafted, Ali declared his status as a conscientious objector, saying that war was against the teachings of the Quran. In April 1967, Dooley, um, um, Ali appeared in Houston at an Armed Forces Induction Center. Ali refused to step forward when his name was called, and then Ali was arrested. And in lightning speed, three months later, Ali was tried and then convicted of violating the, secret, the selective service laws um, as it related to drafts being in the draft. Eventually, Ali's case made its way to the U.S. Supreme Court, which um, now we're talking four years later, in June of 1971, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously um, in Ali's favor, overturning his conviction. By then, though, Ali's boxing career had long been on hold. Um, the New York State Athletic Commission had stripped Ali of his um, titles in 1967 when he was convicted, when, when he was arrested for refusing to um, enter military service. And, um, and his uh, boxing license had been also suspended by the state of New York. But for the black community and white allies, Ali's stand over the draft and the, and the war ignited unbelievable admiration and respect. As New York uh, Times columnist uh, William Roden wrote, quote, Ali's actions changed my standard of what constituted an athlete's greatness. Possessing a killer jump shot or the ability to stop on a dime was no longer enough. What are you doing for the liberation of your people? 
What were you doing to help your country live up to the covenant of its founding principles? Unquote. Soon Ali was speaking to students and young people across America. This was after his arrest um, and conviction. He was out on bail um, bond while his uh, case was being appealed to the Supreme Court. Um, as I was researching uh, this piece, um, I saw a Dick Cavett episode um, from 1970 where Ali shared that the mayor of Pittsburgh had reached out to Muhammad Ali and asked him to go to Pittsburgh to talk to gang members because they were having tremendous violence in Pittsburgh. Ali related um, on the Cabot show that he had had a secret, he went to Pittsburgh, it's no problem. He had a secret meeting with the rival gang leaders and Ali got them to shake hands and promise to end the violence. Ali just sort of said that matter-of-factly that he did that. I would also note, if you Google Muhammad Ali, Dick Cavett, um, you'll find that segment where Dick Cavett, white man, kind of spews a bunch of stereotypes, kind of stuff that we even hear still today. Unbelievable. Um, just, I don't know. I'm going to end this highlight of the idealist Muhammad Ali by sharing a clip that I saw on Twitter. Remember, I told you all of this has come about because, because of something I saw on Twitter. It's an interview that Muhammad Ali gave to a CBS News story. And, and be warned, okay, this clip that you're going to hear, all right, it's about a minute long. This clip that you're going to hear includes very strong language, including the N-word. I want you to be aware I'm playing this clip to make a point. The N-word shows up on it. Muhammad Ali uses the N-word. And, um, and it's all part of Ali giving an interview and then of him standing at the doorstep outside of an auditorium where he's confronted by white college students. Give the clip a good listen. And as you, and that, hold on, Brett. And as you listen, you'll hear the words of a man who risked everything for his principles, to change America. That's about as idealistic as you can get. When we come back after the clip plays, we're going to do the big interview. Go ahead, Brett. Tear off. My conscience won't let me go shoot my brother or some darker people or some poor hungry people in the mud for big, powerful America and shoot them for what? They never called me nigger. They never lynched me. They never put no dogs on me. They never robbed me of my nationality, raped and killed my mother and father. What well, I'm going to shoot them for what? How am I going to shoot them? Them little poor little black people, little babies and children and women. How can I shoot them poor people? I would just take me to jail. Ali more than held his own against students who had a far better formal education than he. I'm saying you're talking about me about some draft, and all of you white boys are breaking your neck to get to Switzerland and Canada and London. I'm not going to help nobody get something my Negroes don't have. If I'm going to die, I'll die now right here fighting you. If I'm going to die, you my enemy. My enemies are white people, not Vietnams or Chinese or Japanese. You my opposer when I'm on freedom. You my opposer when I want justice. You my opposer when I want equality. You won't even stand up for me in America for my religious beliefs, and you want me to go somewhere and fight, but you won't even stand up for me here at home. How long till my soul gets it right? 
Ellie 2.0 Radio, AM 950. Um, so, Muhammad Ali, as I said, remember, he was far more an idealist than anybody ever knew, and certainly as anybody is remembering. So, there you go. Okay, we are now ready for the big interview. And uh, for the big interview today, we have Dana Nelson. Um, Dana is uh, on the show uh, to talk about her her advocacy for the um, medical aid and in dying, medical aid in dying uh, legislature, uh, legislation pending in the Minnesota Senate and House. Uh, um, Dana is, uh, is battling cancer right now. And Dana, um, welcome to LE 2.0. And thank you so very much for being on my show. Thank you, Ellie, for having me. Now, Dana, um, you know, you you got on my radar a couple of ways. One is uh, somebody from Minnesota Compassion and Choices reached out to me about having you on the show, asking if I might want to have you on uh, because you you have become um, perhaps not an intentional, but you have certainly become an idealist as you've been working to get this legislation in place. But I also know about you because uh, you wrote a wonderful piece in Minnesota Women's Press uh, that came out in January. So it's the issue of Minnesota Women's Press that came out this month. You and I have in common. I've, writ- <coughs> I've written and I am a regular columnist for Minnesota Women's Press. Dana, can you Hi. can you give us a little bit of your story, please? And I I, I know that you shared a great deal, and and certainly I don't want to. I don't want to be repetitious on stuff that maybe you're getting tired of talking about, but share what you're comfortable with so our listeners kind of can get a sense of where you are at in the world right now. Sure. Um, I'll do my best to do that. And there have been a lot of changes just within the last month or so since the beginning of the year, actually, um, with my health. So uh, I feel like it's a good time to give an update, but... I'll start by saying that in uh, April of 2018, uh, I was diagnosed with rhabdomyosarcoma, which is a soft tissue and muscular cancer. So it can appear anywhere in the body. And mine happened to be in my maxilla or my my sinus in my face. So um, I went through a year of intense chemotherapy, radiation, a couple surgeries, um, lots of stuff, uh, all that never really resulted in my disease completely being gone, but my disease being stable at some point. So um, I was able to, um, ever since 2018, I've had periods of being completely in treatment. I've had periods of being able to uh, live a fairly normal life and go through minimal treatment while while maintaining a 40-hour-a-week job, um, which I have found to be an absolute privilege. And um, I have also had moments of um, where I've been really terrified, like this last month. Um, I, a year ago, about moved home from Helsinki, Finland, where I was receiving the first couple of years of treatment and where I had lived prior to my diagnosis just because I wanted to. I was going to school there 
and I loved it. And uh, it was just kind of my dream to be in Helsinki. So um, that's where I was. And uh, a year ago, I became stage four for the first time. So the cancer moved to my lungs and my lung was filling up with fluid on a weekly basis and things were just not looking good. So I decided to move home from Finland. And um, since then I've had, it's been a roller coaster. Honestly, LA it's been, it's been really up and down. And um, the last couple months we've had, things under control really well with a maintenance chemo and recently that stopped working so um i've been trying some new things and in the transition it's been um it's been really really challenging to well and dan and dan and we were we were supposed to have you on the show last week and we had it all set, and then you had to go back into the hospital, right? Right. So, Dana, can I um, a little? Can I add a couple of things and then ask you a question? Your your story in Minnesota Women's Press begins with you saying that when you were nineteen years old, you know, you went to Finland with the goal of of going to school there to learn about music because you played the trombone. Do I have that right? You got it. Okay, and and you were having this wonderful life in Finland. I mean, you were, you were part of the Hills. It was at the Helsinki orchestra that you were involved in. And you were also a, a, a marathon runner. Do I have all uh, of that right? <laughs> Not quite. I was, I was a student and I was freelancing okay. with different orchestras in Finland, but I was, I never had a full-time position. No, I was, I was working on it. You were working on it. Also okay. Marathon runner. Yes. Very proud marathon runner. Okay. And, 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 and Dana, can I ask, how old are you? I'm 25 now. 25 years old, Dana. Oh. Okay. All right. Okay. So let's, um, let's come forward to where you are today and sure. tell, tell us about the, the, uh, Minnesota Compassion and Choices. Tell us about that organization. How did you get in? What does it do? And then how did you get involved with it? Sure. Um, so I got involved kind of, I don't want to say by accident, but kind of by accident, honestly. Um, when I moved home, one of uh, a high school, a high school classmate that I went to school with in uh, an arts boarding school in Michigan. He had been working with Compassion and Choices out in D.C., and um, we'd stayed in touch uh, through social media. And so he knew I was really big into sharing my story and that I used that kind of as a coping mechanism for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he offered, he said... You know, we're looking for storytellers all the time at Compassion and Choices. If this is something you'd be interested in, I'd love to help set you up with us as a storyteller. So um, he got me set up as a storyteller, introduced me to the right people at Compassion and Choices. And then I also kind of got (laughs) roped into being just a a plain old advocate as well as a storyteller. and that's something that I, I didn't necessarily know I was 
getting into, but I got into it and uh, fell in love with the people I was working with and uh, all that we were doing. And um, even though it was more work on my plate, it was, it's, it's all definitely been worth it and like so rewarding. Okay. Now, Dana, we're going to have to take a break, okay? But when we come back, I want to talk more about compassion and choices, more about the legislation uh, pending or will hopefully be reintroduced into the Minnesota Senate and House. And I want to talk more about you and about power, trying to regain power over your life, okay? Excellent. Thanks, Ellie, so much. Okay, everyone, we're listening. We're speaking with um, an incredibly uh, brave human um, Uh, Dana Nelson, when we come back from our break, we'll speak more with her and we'll learn more about the need to give people who are dying the power, the choice to go out the way they want. Listening to me, Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio. And we're back, LE 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. Before we took our break, um, we were talking with Dana Nelson, who um, is battling cancer right now, 25 years old, a brave, brave human. And uh, Dana has gotten involved with Minnesota Compassion and Choices. Dana, I'm assuming Compassion and Choices is, has chapters across the country. So you've been dealing with the... the the Minnesota chapter. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah. We've got it. We all kind of work together. Um, but then we have our, our projects going on in each, each state and jurisdiction. Okay. And, and, and what is, <clears throat> what is, uh, Minnesota compassion and choices attempting to do here in Minnesota? And most importantly, I want to hear from you. Why, that is so important to you sure um well for now i think our main goal is just to get more people involved um with compassion and choices and get more people on board with the idea of voting um to pass the medical aid and dying act when it becomes available on the ballot and um, just getting more people to reach out to their legislators and uh, say, hey, this is important to me, and this is important to the community of terminally ill people in Minnesota, so we need to prioritize this. So that's kind of what the goal is right now, is to, to start to prioritize okay. it, because it's not, it's not that it's not on people's radars, um, but it's that it's low on the low on the list of priorities. So, well, um, okay. And, yeah. and, and I'm interrupting you, but so is it, is the goal to have it as a ballot measure that the state of Minnesota, that the residents of Minnesota could vote on versus the house or Senate just passing a bill and governor Walls signing it? No, I'm sorry. It's, it's totally up to the legislators. So it's, I don't think it's anything that we could vote on. Um, I'm really clumsy at talking about this. stuff. No, 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 don't worry. That's okay. Don't no. Don't worry about that. I just, I would just wanted to, to understand the process, but, um, but they, they did introduce the bill in both the house and Senate, you know, for the 20, 
one legislature and do you, do you, are you aware how far it got? Did it die in subcommittee? Did it get anywhere? Uh, I, I'm not really sure. All I know is there's more work that needs to be done and we're, we're talking okay. about, um, going to like the caucuses coming up at the beginning of next month and, um, continuing to reintroduce the bill. Okay. And in short, I mean, what the legislation is about is about allowing for physicians to prescribe medication to people who are terminally ill and those people can take the medicine at the time and choosing that they decide that the person who is sick, who is ill, who is dying can make the decision about how they want to go out. Do I, do I have that right? Yes, about when and if they want to take the medication. The, the prescription itself is not saying I'm, it's not an agreement to take the, the, the prescription ultimately. It's, uh, it's when and if. Okay. Now, Dana... Let's talk about power because you, you write both in Minnesota Women's Press and then you, you write on the um, Minnesota Compassion and Care ch- uh, website about the loss of power. And can you, yeah. can you talk to us about that, please? Sure. Um, I felt like ever since, you know, maybe not day one, I, I felt really empowered actually the first couple months of my illness. Um, I felt empowered as I shaved my head for the first time. I felt empowered as I went to chemo and um, had tough moments with my health all throughout the beginning of treatment, just because I felt like I I have a lot of fight in me. And um, I quickly learned that it's not about having fight. Um, each individual, you know, it, it's going to happen how it happens for each terminally ill person. So um, that that made me feel really robbed of any kind of power that I had. Um, it made me feel like the cancer took away um, my... It, it took away everything from me. It took away my ability to run. My body was now too weak to run, something that I love to do uh, before I got sick. Um, it took away, ultimately, it brought me home to the United States, which was not where I planned to live out my last days. And I, I don't have any any qualms about that now, but um, it, it really took away every last thing that I had worked for and medical aid and dying is important to me and I want to see it happen. I want to see the act pass in Minnesota in my lifetime because that would give me so much of the power back to say that, Hey, if the suffering becomes too much for me, I, I, I let you take everything else from me, cancer, but not this. Okay, Dana. Um, now, we, 
we know that there are a number of states that do have, you know, physician-assisted end-of-life um, procedures. And I, I want to just quickly say not physician-assisted. Ah, okay. Thank you. Yes, I just want to correct you on that, that it's, um, yeah, or not correct, but many people are confused that uh, it's not physician-assisted. It is uh, the prescription is prescribed by a physician, but then in the United States, you must have you must be able to um, to what's uh, consume or uh, what's the word I'm looking for to administer the medication yourself. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for that clarification. So there's medical aid. Okay, medical aid in one form or another, in other states, like in Oregon, right? And in Colorado. Yes. And, uh, and, and maybe, is it in California as well? I'm not, I'm not remembering fully. Yeah. Okay. So, in theory, you could move to one of those states, right? I could. But then that's not your home, right? Exactly. I feel like, why should I have to do that? Why should I? I've already uprooted and left from Finland, which I felt was my home. I lived there for five years and I already when I when I felt like things were my options were becoming limited, I already moved back to Minnesota and which was fine because I have a home here. I have family. I I'm privileged to have a place to be and to feel comfortable. But um when I'm dying, the last thing I want to worry about is moving across the country and finding a new place to try and settle in and not only me but my family how traumatic that would be for them right right and what uh give me an idea of why is it why do you think this is so incredibly difficult here in minnesota um, I think honestly, like I said, it's what we talk about a lot in compassion and choices, and I'm still fairly new to the organization. Um, so I hope I'm, I'm I hope I'm getting this right, but really that we just need to prioritize passing the act here in Minnesota. I think, um, as as you mentioned earlier, it's not a bipartisan issue. It's not about religion necessarily um because even though minnesota is a heavily religious state um a lot of even catholics agree with the issue or are on board with mm -hmm. the act right um but it's just about making the priority and understanding that it's important to pass this act now because there are plenty of terminally ill minnesotans who need to use this now Right. Right. And, 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 and in the end, it's, it's your life. It's your choice. Why, you know, yeah. I mean, this is, of course, nothing that we can answer, but why is it that people believe they have the right to make, you know, to force their choices, you know, their, you know, their beliefs on other people when... I'm not sure. It's really frustrating because I after recently having just suffered a lot the last three weeks in the hospital, 
um, suffering more than I ever have in my life. I don't understand why anybody thinks that they can put a label on my suffering and say, this girl hasn't suffered enough yet. She, she has to endure more. Dana, um, you know, I usually ask my guests, you know, what made them an idealist? And I don't even know, frankly, if you would classify yourself as an idealist, but, you know, and I define idealist as somebody who's trying to change the world, okay? But I want you sure. to, Dana, I want you to know, okay, you're, you are literally the epitome of an idealist right now. You are, you are working with what time you have left to change the world. And I, I just have to tell you, I so, I just so respect you. Thank you, Ellie. We've got that just means a lot. We have just a minute left. What What else would you like our audience to know? Whew, um, I was getting heated there towards the end. I, um, I guess I would just like everyone to know that. Um, my suffering is a lot, and it's been a lot, even more in the recent weeks, but um, I never wanted to invalidate anyone else's suffering, um, anyone else's divorce or loss of a loved one. Um, it's You never have to look at my suffering and say that yours isn't great enough. Um, we all We all have a lot to cope with, so... Just keep doing your best and um, remember, look for the privileges in life and recognize those. That's what I do each day to keep me going. Dana, um, I am just so grateful that you came to talk to us, okay? And, um, I, you know, I, I, all I can just say to you is thank you. And, and, and wish you the best um, and wish you some peace. Um, Thank you, Ellie. And listeners, you know, um, you keep hearing the same music on this show, our, and it's called bumper music, when we bring in our segments and when we end them. What I've asked, uh, I've, I asked Donna, uh, Dana, excuse me, Dana, I asked Dana what her favorite um, uh, music was, and and Dana, what is it? Would you let the audience know? Yeah, um, I have a really special connection with Tame Impala's music, uh, especially the song Lost in Yesterday. Well, Dana, um, in honor of you, <laughs> and to thank you, um, we're going to play that as our outtake. Um, I wish you, you I just wish you the very, very best. Brett? Let's play it and give us a, a good taste of it, okay?
And we're back on AM 950 LD 2.0 radio. Um, Dana Nelson. I mean, what do you say? I mean, what, what can you say? You just, you just, you heard verbal courage. You just honor her. Reach out to your legislators. Tell them we need to pass the medical, uh, medical and dying act. We need it to, to honor her and other terminally ill people now. And we know that many, many more are to come. So please support the bill. Reach out. Talk about it. Thanks. Okay, C-Block here. Um, it's, uh, this is a tough show for me. I just need to tell you that, okay? It, it's, it's just a tough show. And um, it's just, it is. She's only 25 years old. Okay. All right. So uh, a couple of things. Let me give you an update. Remember we had Kelsey Waits on the show a couple of weeks ago. Remember Kelsey's the... Uh, was the uh, running for the school board in, um, in Hastings. And in the course of running for re-election, she got on the board for a term and then she was trying to get re-elected for another term. Opponents in Hastings uh, outed uh, her eight-year-old um, transgender non-binary uh, young human, Kit. They outed the child on Facebook, let the whole city, whole world know about this, this child that was, uh, that was in Kelsey's family. And that, of course, then resulted in Kelsey getting, um, they had to move because Kelsey was worried about uh, the safety of her child and her family. We had Kelsey on the show. I just want you to know, you know, when Kelsey was on the show, she talked about, uh, she was certainly an idealist, and she was talking about creating an organization to help parents of trans and non-binary kids teach them how to advocate on behalf of their children. I just want you to know, Kelsey has gone ahead. I mean, she, she is a dynamo. I've, I have also talked to her uh, since the radio show. We had a nice uh, visit. Um, she's now launched, she and some colleagues, the Transparent Alliance. Write that down. Transparent, one word, alliance. Um, it's online. Uh, you can actually donate to them. They're trying to get their 501c3 stuff up and running, but they need some money to get, you know, all, all everything put together for their website and some other things. Transparent Alliance, Kelsey Waits, by the way, Kelsey Waits is a name to remember. You're going to hear this name. You're going to hear her name again and again here in Minnesota because she's, she's going to do stuff. Just letting you know. Me, uh, the, the idealist, me, Ellie Krug. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm living in Victoria, for those of you who have followed. I mean, I've been out in Victoria for a year after having a decade, been a decade downtown Minneapolis in condos. Um, I made the decision, notwithstanding the pandemic, that uh, I'm going to become involved in the community. So I have started volunteering for things. And uh, I guess what? I got appointed to the Carver County Metal, Mental, not Metal, Mental Health Advisory uh, committee. Uh, so I'm going to be helping with mental health <laughs> policies in, uh, in Carver County in one way or another. Um, I also 
have volunteered for Youth Prize. Uh, we've had the Youth Prize people on uh, at, um, uh, last year uh, to talk about their organization, and uh, I've gone on their board. Uh, so I'm going to be helping youth that way. Um, I've reached out to the Carver County, Eastern Carver County School District, and I had a wonderful, wonderful conversation with a woman named Robin Francis, who is their diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, um, coordinator, no, manager, director. The title is not accurate, but you have an idea of what Robin Francis does. Dynamic, wonderful woman. I reached out to her and I said, hey, I'm in Carver County. Uh, What can I do to help? And uh, so hopefully I'm going to be doing some volunteering work with the Carver County schools. Um, And so stay tuned on that. I'll let you know if I do that. Yeah, I know. You know, uh, right. My my best friend right now is listening to this podcast, Thap. Hey, Thap. And he's already, I know I'm going to get a phone call from him saying, why are you doing all this? You're supposed to be shutting down, slowing down rather than ramping up. But then I will remind Thap when he does call and bother me, I I will remind him that I'm an idealist. And idealists, they don't rest. They don't. You just, we just heard from Dana. She doesn't rest. By the way, Brett, I'm just saying this live. Um, I want our out music when we're done. I want it to be the Tame Impala again. Okay? Just so you have that. Listeners, um, it's been a, hopefully a show that um, you have appreciated. Um, as I said, a tough show for me to do, but listen, we got to do these things. Big thanks to my producer, Brett. Brett has been, you don't know about Brett Johnson other than me say, hi, Brett. Thank you, Brett. He is phenomenal. And listeners, you too are phenomenal. Talk about this show, please. Um, I hear from more and more people that they're listening to it across across the world. And um, I am trying to give you the best, trying to do my best to make this world better. Do me a favor. Go out and do something in the next week on your own to do that as well. Thanks so very much. <laughs>